That could be real estate. That could be a surgery center that's tied to real estate, medical spa that is involved in real We have clients, you know, in all areas of medicine doing things. And, you know, I think one of the benefits of knowing a firm like yours and other firms who are really uh, kind of niche and expertise in particular pieces of that, we let those people run with it. You know, we don't, we say, listen, we can understand it from an asset protection. We can give you some ideas on tax, and then we can see how it fits in the rest of your wealth plan, right? Because this is a piece. If they're going to buy that building in their practice, or they're going to buy a couple of rental units, or they're going to do, you know, uh, with some partners, some kind of, you know, a building. Okay. All right, let's make sure it fits in. And how does it fit in the rest of your plan to retire at 60 or, you know, get to X, Y, and Z. This is the Providers, Properties, and Performance Podcast, the podcast that brings together leaders in healthcare and investment real estate to consider the possibilities in future at the intersection of practicing medicine and healthcare real estate investment returns. Welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance Podcast. I am your host, Trisha Talbot. As a healthcare real estate advisor to providers and investors, the best solutions occur when the two collaborate together as partners in delivering better patient care. Providers can deliver care to their patients when and where they need it, and investors realize the returns to build and manage facilities. We explore changes in medicine and wellness, the future of healthcare, and using real estate as a strategic and financial tool. Today's podcast episode is with guest David Mandel, a partner at OJM Partners. His financial planning company focuses on physician clientele. Given their high income earning potential, OJM Partners focuses on helping clients plan for the future, protect their assets against liability, such as malpractice insurance claims, and strategizing for wealth building, which is what we focus on and discuss the healthcare asset class as one piece of the puzzle. Thank you for joining to listen to today's episode. David, welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here. Thanks for having me. So tell me um, the background of the OJM group. Sure. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you about OJM. And I'm going to tell the, the kind of story or at least give the descriptions for listeners in a couple of ways. First, I'm going to talk about the history. So uh, as we'll probably get into, I spent the first part of my career as a, an attorney, and I did through um, with a colleague in business school create a wealth management firm, and that's what OJM Group. OJM is a wealth management firm that really focuses on working with physicians. And um, in the OJM, I'm the M. Uh, the J was my other partner at the time, who we'd since bought out, and O is Jason O'Dell, my partner. So O, uh, he and I founded the firm. There were three of us originally, and now there's two, last 10, 12 years. Um, and so Jason really started his career um, kind of in a traditional wealth management role working with docs, meaning back in the 90s, going to hospitals and fellowship programs and buying people you know, pizza and sitting with them in the fellowship room uh, in the hospital and, and getting to know them and kind of starting with their first investment questions, their first disability insurance policy, their first, you know, getting them a will or something like that, just helping them initially as they started their career. Well, that was in the early part of the 90s. So in most of that decade, I was practicing law, finishing my grad work and then practicing law. And we started to meet in the early 2000s when I had this fledgling uh, wealth management firm along with my law practice. 
And he was pretty well established, had been written up in medical economics as one of the you know, better financial planners for docs. And I saw him at different conferences. And then we decided to merge up our firm. So we, we did that and created OJM Group 2006, 2007. So about 15 years ago now. Um, so that's sort of the genesis of how it started. And let me tell you just a little bit about kind of where we are today in terms of what we do. So we've got three divisions. Um, and uh, I'll start kind of in what I consider sort of the back and go to the front, right? So the back is one of the areas, uh, one of the divisions is wealth, is investing. So we manage about $600 million for physicians. Unfortunately, that number has gone down a little bit since the last time I stayed that, uh, just the way the market's been. Um, and, you know, we're a fiduciary. We can talk more about that. We're a registered investment advisor. We have put our clients' best interests first. We don't hold the assets of our clients. We use the largest custodians in the world, like Schwab and TD, et cetera. So they can go on the OJM app and look at the investments, or they can go on TD or uh, Schwab, et cetera. And while we manage, they manage my money and they manage my parents, who's physician family, my brother is not a client who's a cardiologist. And I just said to him, listen, if you're not going to use us, you got to use another firm like us yeah. that has your best interest, that's not going to sell you a proprietary product, that's not going to try to make money in ways you don't understand. We charge a fee. It's very transparent. Our clients get it. So that's the investment division. Then we have our insurance and benefits. So we can do life insurance, long-term care insurance, disability insurance, you know, 401ks, non-qualified plans with a national partner. We don't do it in-house. We can do client, help clients with you know, homeowners insurance and their auto and umbrella, all these kinds of things. Uh, and that's great. And we're independent, again, not tied to any one company, one, any one product, any one TPA, all of it independent, trying to help clients the best way we can. And that's the second division. And then first division, and I say first, it's because most clients, you might hear me on your podcast, you might read our book, uh, which your folks can get for free, um, and um, uh, or see me speak or any of our partners, they kind of come to us and say, you know, I have some questions, I need some help, but maybe I'm not ready to just have you manage all my assets, right? So I came from this to this practice as an attorney where I was usually getting, you know, engaged to do some kind of project for a fee or an hourly basis. So we have a consulting side and most docs who come to us pay, uh, say, hey, listen, this is what I need help on. It's tax or it's asset protection or it's investing or it's insurances, et cetera. And they're we're working out a flat fee where they're coming through. And here's the jargon, right? Diagnostic process. <laughs> Every doc can understand that before we get to treatment, right? Right. Most financial people, they sit down to you, they just want to treat you. Oh, I want to manage your money. I want to sell you insurance. That's all about treatment. What we try to do is say, hey, let's figure out what you need help on. Let's take you through a process that over a thousand docs have come through. It's customized, but you pay us a flat fee. We take you through that process. And um, that process is customized to what you want. And then maybe there's a role for us to treat you long-term, maybe not, but at least you've gotten what you paid for, which is a diagnostic. So long-winded way, and that'll be the long, most long-winded answer I give <laughs> probably in this half hour, lawyer and me, but that's sort of the history of OJM and that's where we are today. Okay. So you went to school, you got your law degree and what were you doing with your law degree? And then how did you get over into wealth management? Sure. Yeah. So I actually did a JD MBA program. So I did get an MBA while I was in school. I was at UCLA. I was there for a couple of years at law school 
very typical, one of my buddies who ended up becoming a CEO of a public company and all this, he said, hey, we should go to business school too. We like being at campus, been to UCLA, you know why, <laughs> yeah. uh, palm trees and, and you know, <laughs> and girls and all that kind of stuff. So I ended up getting the Julian GMAT and staying and doing the four years. He ended up going to practice law and, um, and uh, you know, he ended up in business anyway. So I had some background in finance and business, um, but I spent the first kind of 12 years of my career practicing law. And that was in California and then in New York City. Uh, and it started kind of in corporate and moved into tax and estate planning and then asset protection, which is the one piece I play within the role at OJM. I still uh, do a lot of asset protection consulting with clients. Very nice. So you, you've moved into wealth management. So how did you specifically get to focus on physicians? Right. So, um, well, my grandfather, my um, my brother and my father are all physicians. So, you know, I, I make this joke when, I'm, when I do my lectures that, you know, I was working on my dad's will and I realized that if it didn't help physicians, I'd be written out of the will. And that's kind of a joke, but certainly my family is happy that I'm helping physicians since I didn't go to medical school. Um, and so I had that natural inclination. You know, I was working as an attorney in asset protection. I wrote a book in 1998 called The Doctor's Asset Protection Guide. And the way I really learned about asset protection was through a mentor early in my career. And the reason I was interested in that is my father was interested in that. He was a radiologist in Massachusetts, concerned about being sued, uh, concerned that you know he's doing the best by his patients, but seeing so many x-rays, you're going to miss something over time. And didn't want to have all his wealth kind of at risk if something went south. And so he found this attorney. I was kind of impressed with that area of law and segued my practice from kind of corporate tax into that area. So it really came from my family is the short answer. That's nice. So physicians come to you and you can advise them on traditional wealth management strategies, mm -hmm. stocks, bonds, you can, you know, whole life or term sure. for benefit plans. Um, and, and get this all set up to them. And when they come to you, it's because, you know, and physicians in particular, you know, they get to a point where they're like, okay, you know, a couple things. One, I would like to, you know, make my money work for me. There's only, only so many hours in the day, so many patients I can see, um, you know, they tend to be paid really well. And so, you know, they want to, they want to do something with some extra money that they may have. So they come to you and, you know, they're like, okay, you know, I want to pay down debt, of course, you know, the school loans protect against um, malpractice. But when they get all of that set and they're saying, okay, what other things can I do to yeah. generate wealth, you know, maybe get to generational wealth, you know, what do you recommend? And I'm specifically leading you towards real estate, but if that's not what you, rec you know, what are some of the other options that they have? Sure. Well, I think for us, it's really all about diversification and allocation. So, you know, when it comes, certainly real estate is a big piece of a lot of our clients' portfolio, and, and we support that. And do we bring um, uh, real estate deals to our clients? We do, but they're really, um, you know, kind of private REITs or a couple of relationships that we've built with, you know, real estate-based private equity uh, uh, deals or even debt deals that we kind of vet and, and bring to clients, right? But there's a ton of docs who, you know, hey, I want to buy the property where my practice is. I want to expand, all that kind of thing. And 
we know enough to know, and this is, I think, one reason people like to work with us, is what we are experts in, but what we're not experts in. So when a doc might come to us and say, hey, listen, I want to buy uh, the property where our, uh, let's say, our practices. Um, we'll say, okay, well, we can look at it from, I'll look at it from an asset protection point of view. Okay, you're not going to have that in your own name, right? We don't want that in the name of the practice, the PC. We don't even want it in a corporation. We want it in an LLC with this bells and whistles and then leasing it back to the practice, right? I'm thinking that's my expertise and I can look at it from that angle, right? My partner, Carol, she's a tax person, CPA, 30 years of tax experience, right? Does a bunch of people's returns still, uh, including my own. And um, <laughs> so she's going to look at, you know, hey, let's be smart about, about how you're going to use depreciation. And, you know, it, should this LLC be taxed as a partnership? Probably. Not every time, but probably, right? And, and um, uh, uh, how you're going to write off the, the loans and things like that, right? So all of those things. Um, so we're going to support them in the areas we can, but we can't say we're not on the ground because our docs, I should say, are all over the country, right? So we have all, our main office in Cincinnati. I'm in Fort Lauderdale. We have an office in Phoenix, but our clients, you know, we could get a doc in Alaska saying, hey, what do you think about this building I'm going to buy? Well, we can't make any comment on whether the building is a good deal, but we can say, okay, once you've determined with your local advisor or uh, expert like you to say, hey, this is the right price for it. This is the way we can cash flow, et cetera. Then we come in and say, okay, how does it fit with the rest of your wealth management? And are you doing the right things asset protection wise? Are you doing the right things tax wise, et cetera? So we're very supportive of that. And we have clients who kind of run the gamut from really don't have a lot of real estate outside their home to a lot of uh, investment in various uh, real estate related to their practice and unrelated. So usually, you know, physicians, the not always, because some of them do syndication, some of them want only passive investments and, and things mm-hmm. like that. But if they are private practice, typically, I, I think that the, it's sort of common sense to at least explore the opportunity to purchase the practice, you know, the building where they practice in. And so if they come to you and they say, hey, you know, I'd like to do this, what, what are some of the steps you walk them through? Well, you know, it, you know, we got to make sure they have good advisor advising them locally on a, from a real estate point of view, right? And that could be a firm like yours, et cetera. From a legal point of view, right? I mean, they got to have, a, you know, I'm a lawyer. So it's like, okay, you're going to do this real estate deal. You have a lawyer because you're going to need one to negotiate the contract and make sure, you know, all the due diligence, you know, the, the things that need to be done. So, you know, we try not to, and we don't, we're very kind of careful not to overstep our expertise um, uh, when, and that would, you know, that, that could be real estate, that could be a surgery center that's tied to real estate, medical spa that is involved in really, we have clients, you know, in all areas of medicine doing things. And, you know, I think one of the benefits of knowing a firm like yours and other firms who are really, uh, kind of niche and expertise in particular pieces of that, we let those people run with it. You know, we don't, we say, listen, we can understand it from an asset protection. We can give you some ideas on tax and then we can see how it fits in the rest of your wealth plan, right? Because this is a piece. If they're going to buy that building in their practice, or they're going to buy a couple of rental units, or they're going to do, you know, uh, with some partners, some kind of, you know, building. Okay. 
right, let's make sure it fits in and how does it fit in the rest of your plan to retire at 60 or, you know, get to X, Y, and Z. That's where we're helping. Do you help them with 1031 exchanges? Do they, I mean, obviously you're not a, a third-party intermediary, but do, if they say, hey, you know, I, I think I want to do a 1031, do you help them through through those? Well, what we'll do is say, kind of exactly what you said, say, okay, uh, maybe it makes sense. Carol, probably more so getting in depth on it from a tax point of view. Why are you thinking about that? What's the benefit, et cetera? Um, we don't want tax w- wagging the uh, um, economic dog, which a lot of docs, you know, oh, there's a terrible investment, but I'm going to get a tax break out of it. So you don't say that, but that's what right. happens, right? It's, and when Carol used to say, like, a 40% deduction is not worth 100 cents on the dollar loss or, you know, a big thing. So what a client, we have had clients certainly do um, like kind exchanges. We know a couple of intermediaries and we kind of hand the ball off there. You know, it's like they've got to, with, uh, you know, we can't really uh, help them with the intermediary or make the judgment of, is this new property a good deal? Right. 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 So, you know, sometimes it's no, better no, to if say. They, if, if they uh, want to, if they're getting a certain, so they're selling a building and they're like, I'm getting these proceeds, but I want to 1031 them into another investment. You know, do yeah. you help guide them through? some of the financial decision-making points of... Yeah, I think the decision-making points, because the decision-making point would be, okay, if you don't do that, you're going to pay the tax and right. you're going to get put in something, get some kind of return, maybe a, an other d- different kind of real estate, maybe uh, more of a good portfolio, maybe you know a second home, whatever it is, versus right. you're going to 1035. Okay, what are they telling you when you have something lined up or what do you think that growth rate would be or rate of return and kind of run the numbers to help them make a decision. Yeah. Do you ever, um, do they ever talk to you about, um, so, you know, there's, I I kind of advocate being a proactive real estate investor, which means that, you know, you keep the money moving forward and you have an exit strategy when you purchase the property and then, you know, and you Mm -hmm. go forward. It's, it's hard to, it's a challenge when you are in a property and you're like, okay, I want to sell it. But you didn't buy it with the exit strategy in mind. So now they've got kind of a mess of a rent roll and some other issues. But if they if they talk to you and they're like, you know, I really probably should sell this piece of real estate, but they're emotionally attached to it as a an emotional asset versus a financial asset, which I'm mm-hmm. sure you see in your, you know, some things that they get attached to too. But how do you do you talk to them? Do you talk through the, with them through this since you are advising them on a bigger kind of overall scale on, of their finances? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, we're, what's helpful there, we use some uh, software that kind of maps out the big picture, right? And we, we obviously, we've been talking with our team, talking to clients, you know, the issues on their mind now is the fact that, you know, a lot of the equity markets, all of our bond markets are down even. Um, so it's okay. Let's step back and say, we're, you know, we really are about goal-based planning, right? So getting a six, you know, I say this all the time in lectures, is a 6% return a good one, quote unquote? Is an 8% return good one, right? Well, it all depends, right? Depends, what are yeah. you trying to get and what kind of risk are you taking? Right. I mean, I learned that at my MBA, <laughs> that there's risk and reward. So uh, you can't have one without the other. But, um, But the point is that to answer the question or get big picture or get them out of an emotional thinking is to say, okay, where are we trying to get to, right? right. And we have a best case, medium case, worst case plan. And, and where are we and how have we been doing? And where does this particular decision, sell, buy, invest, et cetera, fit on that, you know? And 
again, we have clients, you know, who, um, you know, we're helping them get to where they want to get to, but they have their own, you know, pocket of that. And that could be a big piece or a small piece where they're doing it themselves, you know, and, and making those decisions. And that's fine. Um, uh, and that can be, you know, anything from a pet real estate project to Dogecoin to, you know, anything in between. Um, we just try to keep them on the main ship on the right direction, you know, it's their money, they earned right. it. Right. So they can, you know, obviously make and should be able to make decisions on it. But we usually, especially when there's two spouses, try to get the buy-in of everyone of one. We're trying to get go what our role is. And then, you know, we can be hands-off on some of the stuff. Um, but if you do that and you focus on the big picture, sometimes the emotion comes down. Yeah. Because you realize, hey, yeah, I'll take a little hit on this or it didn't work out exactly, but I'm still on track. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, this has been great. Did you want to add anything that I might have missed? No, I, I think that really the key concept, and you probably talked about this before, but you know, I do mention it is, you know, kind of highest best use, opportunity cost, and whether it's real estate or investing, you know, it's to me. You know, there's something in the law that says, you know, uh, there's an old saying, I think it goes back to Abraham Lincoln, but it basically says, you know, uh, an attorney represents himself as a fool, as a client. And, you know, a lot of physicians are very smart and they could figure out how to do real estate without somebody like you. They could figure out how to manage assets, you know, or asset protection or tax without some uh, a firm like ours that's kind of multidisciplinary. But Oftentimes, the question is, you know, what's their high best use? And you only have so many hours in a day. And, you know, I can't play with your daughter or son or take them to practice, but you can. But I can manage your assets in a way that gives you the time to do that. Right. right? And um, so, you know, I think there are docs who are, you know, completely kind of um, w w uh, delegators. And a lot of them, we have a lot of clients like that. And we have uh, some clients who are, you know, or, or there are folks who are kind of completely do it yourself and they're not really a good fit for us. I mean, they might have used me as a lawyer because most docs will at least realize I'm not going to write my own will or do my own agreement, although that's not always true. But um, so as a lawyer, I didn't get that too much in our space and probably in your space, too. There's people in the middle who like to do some things themselves. But also struggle with, you know, uh, you know, or also see the value of expertise. Right. And I guess one takeaway I would say to folks listening is, you know, um, uh, you know, really think about where you can add value as the doc and where you can hire around. And usually that'll pay dividends for you long term, not only financial dividends, but actually time mm -hmm. and uh, psychological dividends, which uh, oftentimes is even more important. Absolutely. And they can be, you know, there's a difference in being involved and informed and hands-on doing, do it yourself. Right. You know, if, if they come in and they're like, Hey, you know, I really want to understand the details of this process. That's fine. You know, if you want right. to, you know, you don't, but if you, you know, there, it doesn't have to be all or nothing, I guess is, is right. kind of, you know, if you want to be, you know, you want to try to understand and you really want to understand the details, but like you, you know, you're in the financial markets every day. For me, I'm in the real estate markets every day. I'm negotiating deals and, um, you know, it's hard for them to know where 
some of these negotiations can be flexed, I guess. Is. Yeah, exactly. Or also, you know, I've seen this before. It's not here. I mean, like some of the lawyers I know who work with our contracts, vision contracts say, hey, listen, it's not just what's in the contract. It's what I know that's not in there that should be. Right. Right. right? So, and that's experience. I mean, there's that old saying, you know, a woman pays Picasso to do this painting and it only takes them 15 minutes. And she said, hey, it only took you 15 minutes. He said, no, ma'am, it took me a lifetime. Right. To pay that in 15 minutes. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that that's, that's part true. of the experience. Yeah. Well, we're going to move on to the Q&A part okay. of the interview. So get to know you a little yep. bit. So what is your what was your first job? It's kind of apropos. My first job in high school, uh, going to a chiropractic office, picking up um, x-rays, bringing them home to my father to read the x-ray and on a audio cassette. And then in the morning before school, driving that audio cassette and the x-rays back to the chiropractic office. That was my job every day. As soon as I had a car, paid for my car, very yeah, happy to do it. Absolutely. What else do you think you could be doing for a living? Well, the easy answer would be just continue to be practicing law, right? I mean, I could, that, that's something that I, I still have my law practice, my entity and all that. You know, if I had stayed in California, my first area of law was entertainment, which I found to be really interesting, a lot of contracts, uh, intellectual property. So if I didn't go down this path, I'd probably still be in LA as an entertainment lawyer. Nice. What are, who are you reading or listening to right now for news information or inspiration? So, you know, a couple of podcasts I listen to, they're very popular. So it's not, I'm not, uh, you know, very uh, unique on this, but Tim Ferriss has a really good one. I think he interviews a lot of kind of ultra performers um, and kind of hacks that they have or ways they look at the world. Very interesting stuff. He's, uh, he, um, you know, he's the one who wrote like four hour work week and four hour body and some of that. He's got a bunch of bestsellers. So very popular podcast. And then another one on meditation and mindfulness is Sam Harris. He is a very good one. And I try to incorporate a lot of that into my life. So those are two I would recommend. What is one thing you do every day for healthy self-care? Try to work out every day and I try to meditate every day. And I'm pretty good about both. And it's not, not a hundred percent, but pretty close to it. Do you think leaders are born or trained? Yeah, that's interesting. I saw that question as you know, interesting. I mean, I think the answer is they can be either, but there's a, you know, a saying leaders are readers. And I truly believe that uh, you have to I mean, there's so much knowledge of what's come before. Uh, and if you're going to lead any big organization of any size, really, you should learn from other people's mistakes. And, and what. They, so I think even if you're born as a leader, um, you should be reading. Yeah, well, that's great. Well, thank you. Um, how can people get a hold of you if they want to reach out to you? Yeah, so a couple of things. Um, uh, first of all, my email. I'm happy to take uh, any questions if something came out of here, which is mandel at ojmgroup.com. And ojmgroup.com is a, uh, a place where you can find everything about us. We have a uh, podcast also, which you'll be coming on. Yeah. Um, called the Wealth Planning for the Modern Physician. It's the same name of our book, uh, and we've had a lot of great guests on there. We have a lot of physicians telling their stories, uh, what they've learned about wealth management over the years, or mistakes they've made, things they've done well. We have experts like you, attorneys, CPAs, um, uh, investment bankers, uh, private equity folks, which is obviously a lot of transactions going on in healthcare. So come to the website, check that out, and then. Uh, also, we have a bookstore, ojmbookstore.com, 
And that's where our books are. And you can get them for free as being a listener here. And we'll make sure, Trisha, that you have, you know, on your material, like a code that they can see. And and so they can uh, get the books for free. Awesome. Well, thank you. This has been a great interview. I appreciate your time. Excellent. Fun to be here. I'm grateful for you tuning in to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast with others. As a disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and not intended for specific real estate investment advice.